Welcome to The Brand Collective, a podcast about our favorite brands, featuring stories from the marketers and creatives behind them. I'm your host, Nick Ross. With me, Mackenzie Koss, marketer extraordinaire. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Brand Collective podcast. Today, we have Stacia Service, design director and co-founder at Magenta Creative. Welcome on, Stacia. We're so excited to have you on. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Can you talk a little bit about uh, your journey from freelancing and working for big brands to then founding your own creative design company? Yeah, so after working in the agency world in Minneapolis and you know really experiencing all types of work, all types of brands, um, I went freelance for a couple of reasons. Um, first one being I moved to my farm and the commute was a little bit much. So amazing. Um, this was pre-COVID Love before that. people were working from home. So driving over an hour to the cities and traffic was not ideal. Um, but more so, I just kind of wanted more autonomy and flexibility. Um, again, this was pre-COVID. So, you know, working remote was not normal necessarily. Um, and I had this beautiful farm and I wanted to work from there more often. And then I also wanted to just work on more projects that I had, you know, bigger say in and just like kind of call the shots. So I come from a very like entrepreneurial family and I thought it would be fun to kind of run my own thing with no real intentions of like starting my own agency. But when I started talking to previous coworkers and they were kind of running into similar gripes with the agency world, we were like, why don't we just start a small agency where, you know, we can do whatever we want and we can really act as if we're freelancers, but we can have more of that like stability and kind of long-term goals and collaboration that you get from the agency world. So that's how we started Magenta. That's awesome. And can you talk a little bit about this philosophy of strategic design and how that's put into action at Magenta? So, you know, working at strategy heavy agencies in the past, we would usually partner with strategists or a team of strategists that would do this really, really lengthy brand uh, research phase. And so we kind of took the pieces of that that were really directly influencing design and created our own strategic design process. Um, you know, we're really focused on design, which I think kind of makes us different. Um, there's four of us and three of us are designers. Um, so we didn't want to spend months and months and months in a strategy phase. If possible, we wanted to take the most kind of efficient key pieces that influence the visual stuff and, you know, get right into the actual making, but still have that strategic lens with everything we're doing. Do you mind like parsing that out for someone that might yeah. not understand like the strategic lens? Mm -hmm. You know, when I think of design, I think of like, oh, make things look beautiful and look compelling and stunning. But strategy is all about sort of business goals. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We kind of work more in that like prep phase of strategy, you know, really like thinking about brand positioning and, you know, how brands are showing up. So we are focused more on the visuals, but what that phase looks like for us is usually, you know, it varies from client to client, but we kind of have our baseline, which usually includes maybe like a survey. So we can really learn what the people on the brand um, feel about their brand, where they want to go, their vision, their goals, things like that. Um, I even like to just get a feel for what kind of brands my client likes. Um, I think that always helps. So you're not, you know, shooting in the dark when it comes to style. Um, and then we usually do a competitive audit. So we're looking at other competitors in the category, seeing what they're doing, seeing where the white spaces that we can stand out authentically as a brand. 
And then also it can mean a lot of different things. So usually we're looking at like mentor brands or inspiration brands. Um, we almost always do like a mood boarding phase, which, you know, is just pulling found imagery from the internet. Um, ideally we can do that in person and we can really collaborate and see what people are liking and where they see their brand going. So it's kind of all about thinking about the larger brand vision versus just like, I like red or I like blue or I like this font, you know, like, why do you like that font? And does that font reflect the personality of the brand that you want to present as in the future? It feels like you can't have such an informed perspective without a lot of experience and a lot of confidence. I mean, I think, yes, that is true. But I also think strategy really gives me confidence in the decisions I'm making. And it really gives the client confidence too. So like they really feel involved in the journey and they don't feel there's no big reveal here. Like we are working with them and really like producing something that reflects them and their brand in the best way possible. So it really does give me confidence more than anything versus sometimes, you know, I make something and I like, you know, maybe for a small freelance project or something, I'll make something just for fun or it looks really nice or cool or trendy. And then, you know, you're so proud of it and you bring it to the client and they're like, this isn't right at all. And right. kind of like, where did I miss the mark? And we don't run into that a lot, which is nice because we have this process that really brings them along the way and makes them feel involved and gives us the inputs we need to design really thoughtfully. And, you know, in a way that kind of has like a longer life than just like sticking with what's trendy on Pinterest or whatever. Can you talk about maybe how you learn to advocate for yourself along the way? Cause it feels like you're, you're a very confident creative. <laughs> it took me a long time to be confident in not only like my design skills, but like the way I present or, you know, asking for what I want or establishing the schedule that works for me, you know, things like that. And I think it really wasn't until I went freelance after my first two jobs. So probably three years ago that I was like, oh, I am good and people want to work with me and I don't need to say yes to everything. Like I have value and my process works. So it didn't just come. It took a lot of time. Right. I think I, my first agency that I worked with Zeus Jones, they, it was like the best kind of like boot camp to be thrown into right out of school because you know, they're really fast paced. You're surrounded by like the smartest people. Um, they're all so strategic about everything they do. And it just made me really want to like be as good as them and impress them. And I think it really gave me confidence, but I didn't realize it until after I left. So I think it really takes kind of moving around and having different experiences to, you know, not only learn from those experiences, but also reflect and be like, oh, I was like a lot better than I thought I was at the time. And eventually, hopefully, like now I accept that, like, I am good right now right? <laughs> as I am. And yes. I will only get better. You know, every, every experience is a learning experience, kind of as cliche as that sounds, like every, you know, design that isn't used, you know, you learn something along the way. And that always kind of makes me feel better. Like no, nothing I make is precious. It's always like, you know, a step in becoming a better designer or creative. Yeah. Yeah. I love it when you say, uh, that moment that you learn to say no, because I think that is sort of a powerful moment that most creatives find at some point in their journey. Cause I think in the beginning, we're often just going like, yes, let me, let me show you what I can do. Let me show you what I can accomplish. Let me show you, you know, like the hours that I can spend on this project. And I think the no is the most empowering word often for an experienced uh, creative. And that's, it's a hard, 
there's a hard uh, journey to get to a point where you can be like, no. Right. Yeah. Especially when you go freelance, because it's like the first time that anything I did was for myself. So any project I said, yes, I reaped the benefits. And so that's why it was hard for me to say no. It was like, okay, well, that's money. I'm literally just like throwing away. Right. But I got to a point where I was like, you know, money can only do so much and having that like balance and, you know, having enough where I'm stable, but can also enjoy my life and not work around the clock is way more important to me than making tons of money. Yeah. And, you know, everyone has different values in, in that regard, but I, I did say yes to almost everything like the first year freelance and I wasn't miserable because I was still excited. And, you know, I did know that everything was kind of benefiting me directly, but I got to a point where I was like, I'm not creating anything I really love. And I'm putting so much time spread everywhere, you know, spread thin that nothing's really getting my full devotion or passion. And it was more just like, okay, that makes a lot of money. That makes a lot of money or like whatever, like that gets me a certain client on my roster. And that's not what I wanted to do. And I think that's something we've kind of built into Magenta too, is like, we don't care if we work with the big names or the giant budgets. Like we want to work with other small teams who are passionate and are, we're, we're really making an impact because if we just say yes to everything, then like, what's the point? We could just go work wherever, right? If we're just right. doing whatever work comes our way. So I think we've been a lot more strategic and picky based on those boundaries. I mean, I and my partners kind of noticed are really important to like really throw everything you're passionate at at certain projects versus spreading yourself so thin. That initial phase when you say yes to everything and then in that time you probably learn the projects that you thrive in, the projects that maybe keep your creative juices flowing and keep your your passion alive versus the projects that kind of numb that or dull that or make you go like, this is not where I want to put my energy. Right, 100%. It's really cool. Where, where in life do you find your inspiration? I tend to like brand wise, I tend to look at more like design blogs and things like that. Like I love type wolf or like site inspire because I like that they pull a bunch of different types of brands. So I can really analyze like the design choices they're made. They're making without like the baggage of like a really big brand, you know, like everybody has biases when they're seeing brands that they've been seeing their whole life. So I, I tend to go to those first or I also look at like other agencies and kind of look at their projects for the same reason. Um, but then design wise, I'm really inspired by like some clothing brands, um, you know, more sustainable clothing brands. Like I love Girlfriend Collective. I love what they're doing with like health at every size and body positivity. And I feel like they have a really, really clear strategy that really shows in their design. And, you know, that's my bread and butter. Like I can see when a design is just trendy versus has like a long-term plan. And I feel like they're a great example of that. Um, or also like a lot of food brands. Like I feel like there's a lot of cool, like non-alcoholic liquors coming out, like yeah. Kin. Those yeah. have awesome packaging or like Omsum, the um, Asian food brand. They're really awesome. Um but then outside of design, I just, I find a lot of inspiration on my farm, just walking around. There's a lot of like cool antique stores around us. There's a lot of like fun junk that was left in our barns that has like amazing vintage typography, decorating oh. my home. You know, there's a lot of outside inspiration for sure too. This, this Love is amazing. That. Let's have a little farm. Uh, <laughs> yes. Farm break. Farm break. Let's, okay. So where is this farm and what? 
is on this farm? Is it animals? Yeah. Is it a bunch of crops? What, what do we got? <laughs> yeah, I feel like a bit of a fraud when I say I live on a farm because no, we do not have crops and we don't have a ton of animals. But um, yeah, we're about an hour outside of Minneapolis. So we're technically in Wisconsin, but we're right on the border. So really beautiful area in the St. Croix River Valley. Oh my um, gosh. Got, yeah, it's really nice. Um, I know the area well, so that okay, sounds amazing. <laughs> I never know when I'm talking to people. I'm like, you know where Dresser, <laughs> Wisconsin is? And most people yes. are no idea. Um, yeah, we're right by a ski hill. So there's tons to do in the area. Um, we have 16 acres, mostly um, native prairie, and it's wooded too. So we have, you know, one strip of land where we have a barn and we have a couple animals. We have two dwarf fainting goats, which is what? Kind of Gosh. My viral fun fact, I guess. sensations. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> they're, they're hilarious. And um, we have eight chickens as well. But other than that, we just have cats. So we don't have cows or pigs or horses or anything kind of like traditional that you think of when you think of a farm. So we actually bought it with the plans of doing kind of the wedding venue thing. Oh, nice. Um, that's awesome. That's when I went freelance is I was like, I'm going to run the wedding venue and I'll just do some freelance work on the side. And then, I don't know, we got really busy. Like I got tons <laughs> of projects and I realized how much more I like design when I wasn't like beholden to an agency. <laughs> uh, and we just decided we don't want to spend our summers with like brides going crazy. <laughs> so, yes. Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. I grew up on a farm too. And the fainting goats are one of the best things to have on the farm. Cause I feel like they each they have their farm. own little attitude and yeah. uh, personality, if you will. So I didn't expect them to like lock up all the time. Like they don't really. Oh yeah. But yeah. Now, it's kind of like, you know, yeah. they need some like grease on the joints. Like they can't really yes. like jump or like climb on anything. They're like, yeah. joints are just. It's very <laughs> stiff. Stiff, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we didn't even intend to get dwarf fainting goats. It was totally happenstance. We went on Craigslist and like found some goats, and they happened to be these perfect little angels. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's awesome! <laughs> yeah, what a bizarre evolutionary trait. Just that a creature is just like startled and goes stiff as a board. <laughs> it right? Doesn't feel like it gives it any benefit. But somehow, right? it's still here, and the dodo bird is somehow. not. Uh, <laughs> so jumping back to Magenta, are there any projects or anything that you guys are working on right now that you want to highlight or share, work that you're proud of? Sure. Um, we are in the middle of four like really big branding projects I'm super excited about that you know are not out in the world yet, but... I will share them on our Instagram and such when they're ready. Um, but I'm very excited that we, we've kind of weeded out a lot of the smaller kind of production-y projects and we're working like all on branding right now, which is so exciting. Um, we just landed a project with the Minnesota Twins, which is very exciting. Nice. Uh, like, like I said, not like uh, obsessed with big brands or anything like that, but you know, Twins is kind of a hometown favorite and we all like grew up going to games. So it's really exciting to work on a brand that's just kind of beloved and, you know, really fun, high energy brand and things like that. So that's a big one. And then we're also working on kind of a restaurant lounge speakeasy in Minneapolis. And we Ooh. can't like say the name yet or anything, but I'm super excited about that. I've always 
loved to do like restaurant branding, hotel branding, things like that. And I'm trying to get us to shift a little bit more into that space. And so landing that was really exciting and I can't wait to visit when it's open in uh, the winter, we're hoping. Yeah. That's awesome. That all sounds wonderful. Um, Can you talk about your approach to relationship building in your career? Because it does feel like you've gone from, you know, large agency to freelance to then collaborating with a, a really intimate group of creative professionals that, you know, are now your sort of pillars at Magenta. Relationships have been everything in my career. And I remember people coming into my college and kind of saying that, like, you know, network, network, network. And I was like, okay, whatever. That seems like stressful and annoying. I don't want to bother people, you know, things like that. Uh, But now looking back, it's like, oh my God, one thing always led to the next when it came to relationships and, you know, where I am at now in my career. My uh, first job at Zeus Jones, actually, I got through Twitter because the design director there had like seen my portfolio on my Twitter or something like that. So like, you never know where those relationships are going to start. And then I met one of my partners now at Magenta through Zeus Jones as well. And then he brought me into the next agency that I worked at. So, you know, it always kind of leads to the next thing. And I mean, I'd say my relationships throughout my career have been most influential when they're somewhat natural. Like I rarely met someone at like a really formal networking event, but I often did have success just kind of chatting with someone at the side of, you know, something that was um, a little bit less formal or like even just shooting my portfolio to someone that I had connected with long ago and, you know, saying, Hey, can you just like, take a look at my work. And that made it just a natural connection without kind of that, I don't know, expectation that I was going to get a job out of it or that like, it wasn't kind of this relationship where like one thing was needed from either person. And I really like to kind of build those relationships with students too. So like, I'm really involved still at the university of Minnesota. We as Magenta try and go and like review portfolios a lot. And, um, my partner Grant and I used to teach a class about just kind of this brand design strategy stuff. So like we're trying to build that into the way that Magenta really works, because I do think that relationships are really everything. And, you know, I still talk to students that I, you know, mentored four years ago and, you know, Tessa, our employee, she actually, you know, found out about us by joining that class. And then we reviewed her portfolio and then we reached out when the time was right, when we needed uh, to hire someone. And so there's just a lot of, you know, it's kind of a small world, even if it's a big agency world. So I think the connections are just super important. Yeah. It's really lovely to, yeah. to hear how it's almost like you guys are community builders and, and not sort of, because I think also in creativity, there's a lot of like that protective, you know, like, no, we have all the secrets. We don't want anybody to know or else people will steal our work. And I think that I sort of share the philosophy that there's plenty of, you know, pardon me, my, okay. (laughs) Sorry. This is wild. Uh, we are having a day. Um, (laughs) Uh, 
that there's room. And I, one of our previous guests on the podcast said, you know, lift as you rise as a philosophy of her, you know, work ethic. And I just think it's a beautiful way to sort of build community and encourage and, um, constantly be open. Cause I do agree that you never know when your next opportunity is going to come. And I feel like that kindness and that professionalism and the, the ability to mentor and the ability to give feedback is so valuable to so many people because you never know when someone's going to be like, oh, you you mentioned this thing to me in passing when we were talking at that thing and it always stuck with me and now that's part of, you know, my life's philosophy. <laughs> you never know. Totally. Um, and it's, it's, you know, mutual. Like every time we go and review portfolios, we get so excited about what the, the work that students are doing and we always leave and we're always like, we got to do that more because then we want to like help bring their brands to life. We can't wait to see where they go. You know, we go back to their portfolio show and it's so fun to see how much it's evolved. And it reminds us, you know, the energy that you have as like a student when you're about to go into the ad world. And, you know, it's stuff that you just like don't think about day in and day out. So it's a great way to kind of step back and be like, oh, what I do is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like I get to do this every day. I get to design every day. Like what a fun career. And I, you know, you get, get in the weeds sometimes and forget that. So it's mutually beneficial. It's not just, you know, it gives back to everyone. Yeah. And it's, I mean, you stay inspired, you stay connected. I feel like it's always important yeah. to stay connected to youth and to that energy. Cause I think right. it's, you know, we grow and calcify and become like stuck in our way. It's hard, you know, it's hard to right. s still connect. But I think having those avenues where you can offer your skill set and experience to a, a group of people that are coming up and just hungry for it. Um, mm -hmm. It's yeah, I agree. It's so inspiring. So I have a few questions about specifically being a woman in design, the design world and sure like some hurdles you've had to overcome, maybe one of your favorite projects that like you got to really kind of spearhead and help evolve and everything. And then some advice that you have for especially and specifically women in design or who are wanting to get into the design world. Sure. Okay. That was a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we want to know it all. Yes. Okay. Sure. Well, this is definitely like a passion area. So yeah. Uh, talk it through. Um, I'll just say that, you know, generally I ha I've had very good experiences being a woman in the advertising world. And I know yeah. that that's not the case for everyone. I've worked at really, you know, open and supportive agencies, but you know, there's still flaws everywhere. And I think kind of seeing some of those cracks, are what made are a big part of what made me push freelance. Um, the biggest being just kind of, you know, those subtle things where, you know, men maybe aren't expected to do as much of the little tiny side work that really right. be all consuming and distract from the larger projects. And so, yeah, you know, it's not super obvious, but you know, I'm building a whole brand direction. And then I'm also like making sure all the men on my team are checking their email, you know, like little things like that. <laughs> yeah. That's not every man by any means, but yeah. I think there's just kind of this burden put on women that not everyone notices. And I think there's an article I, I read a long, long time ago that was kind of like, even though it's not like super intentional, women are often kind of expected to like be the office managers too, like order yes. the food for the office or party plan or things like that, that like not every woman has any interest in doing. Right. 
And that can really, really detract when you're like deep in a design project or something. And so I think those little things kind of started to add up for me. And then when you really think about, you know, the inequities and in pay and things like that, and, you know, having a bit of a harder time reaching a leadership position, even though I was like on a very equal level, like playing field when like, as far as delivering work went and things like that, um, that really kind of pushed me to go freelance um, and just have full ownership over everything I did and every decision I made and know that every dollar was coming to me. <laughs> right. Absolutely. It was huge. Um, and I think my biggest advice for kind of like conquering that stuff is like, obviously transparency is the best policy if you have leaders who are open-minded. Um, but I think kind of a non-traditional piece of advice would be like, try something new. I have a really non-traditional path of where I got to or how I got to where I am now. And I think it's been huge in my success is just, you know, it's easy to get out of school and start an agency job and be like, this is the best thing ever. This is the best I'll ever find. And that might be the case. Like I worked at a fantastic agency right out of school and I did, I was tempted to be like, well, I found my place. I'm found my career. I'm here forever. But after a couple of years, I was like, I need to push myself. I need to go do something else. And that was like the best decision I could have made, even though I was at a really good place, but leaving really gives you confidence. It gives you reflection. It gives you pay bumps. Like I hate to just get down to the details, but like it's way better financially to like hop around a little bit or at least get offers or try the interviewing process. Um, even to like move up your title, like that's really common. So I, something we kind of talk about a lot at Magenta is, you know, encouraging people to try freelance or try a different agency and you can always go back. Um, just like taking advantage of those options. I think men tend to do that a lot more naturally. They're just like, man, we'll figure it out. Whereas I think women tend to be like longer term planners. And so it's like, well, then what am I going to do with my 401k? Or like, what if I want to have children? Or what if I want a house? And that kind of gets people stuck. And really the best thing you can do in a lot of ways in the agency world is to jump around and, and try different things. Up next, we've got Stand With a Brand. This is about Samsung, um, specifically a Night Owl ad that they've run very recently. So Samsung is in a little bit of hot water after a recent ad backfired a bit on them. In the ad, um, there is a woman of color who is showcased going for a run. They're showing off their new Galaxy Fitness Watch. She's running at about two in the morning. She's smiling, running through the streets, uh, continuing to smiling, smile at the occasional stranger she comes across as well, and seeming oblivious to the fact that the streets are dark and empty and she's all alone. So the idea that she's making her own time and creating her own rules, uh, unfortunately, in a way, goes against the harsh reality, realities for women today in our current state of the world. Um, I pulled a couple tweets I just wanted to read that were in response to after people viewed this. Um, so one of them says, just saw a Samsung advertisement where a woman gets up at 2 a.m. and then goes for a run in the dark alone with earbuds in. Do any women work at Samsung? And then a second tweet. Um, it's two tweets together from the same person um, in reply, replying to this ad. And 
they go, I'm so staggered by it. It's just so tone deaf, especially with everything that's happening lately. Don't get me wrong. I'd love to live in a world where a woman can go running at 2 a.m., but we aren't there yet. So globally, the buying power of women is estimated to be $31.8 trillion. Um, and additionally, 89% of women globally influence or control spending decisions compared to the only 41% of men. So the voices and perspectives of women can't be ignored. The Samsung ad was actually created by Ogilvy New York, and the agency has not yet made any comments or release statements since the backlash of the advertisement. So my question to you is, do you stand with the brand or do you take a seat? I definitely take a seat. (laughs) I think this is maybe a little bit of an easy one. Um, You know, I just think those tweets kind of touched on the most obvious things. Like, I don't know any woman who would feel safe running at night, um, let alone a woman of color. Like, I won't speak for women of color, but I, I can imagine the, you know, kind of fear associated with that is just even worse, like tenfold. So for them to, you know, pick a woman in the middle of the night and then also make it a woman of color, I just think is like the tweet said, pretty tone deaf. And, you know, outside of that, I just thought the ad was like a little bit lame. (laughs) Like, you know, I- Where's the strategy? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I think- like the cinematography was really cool and I thought the music was really interesting, but it was, you know, I am all about this kind of pave your own way, make your own schedule, obviously, um, do your own thing. But like, it just missed that like climax of like, oh, I'm really doing it. And instead it was yeah. focused on this really kind of controversial choice to have a woman running with earbuds. You know, my instinct when I saw that was, you know, what would this add look like if it was in a real scenario and it's scary you know like to imagine what might be going on in a dark alley not someone practicing ballet or going out like it would be probably something very threatening and she might be looking over her shoulder every two seconds not running with an owl (laughs) yes yes um i'm gonna have to take a seat with you as well because Uh, As someone who has been an athlete or half their life specifically running, I remember in college, like we never ran solo. We never ran after a certain time um, because you don't feel safe and things can happen. Um, I thought it was interesting because I thought, man, you could even do this towards like sunset time or something, make it completely change it a little bit. But yeah, I wasn't inspired. I was just kind of like, oh, this is what you spent your money on, um, to be frank with them is like, Hey, maybe go back to the drawing board. And also I'm interested to see what their statement is going to be and their response to people not being happy about this and wondering, you know, what kind of world that they're living in. Right. Yeah. And I think there's so many interesting ways to kind of present that narrative of like paving your own path, especially with COVID, like to show, you know, a mother, like, taking a run in the middle of the day when she's supposed to be nursing or whatever, like, you know, finding a way to kind of like make that narrative less traditional. I mean, like, did they just kind of, it seemed like they picked kind of the easy out, which actually was like a really problematic choice. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. This feels like a perfect opportunity for creative, like TikTokers to like recut this with suspenseful music or, you know, like really like, use it to be like, Hey, we'll, we'll fix this for you. 
<laughs> like we'll make this yes. more realistic. Oh yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah. I often, and I think you touched on this. I often think of how many levels of scrutiny that pieces like this with this much backing and this much, cause this has got to be, you know, a, a lot of investment to get to this conclusion. Um, probably not as much as that infamous Pepsi spot, but like there's a lot of people that like have to be like, perfect. You know, I could love it. Yeah, um, yeah. And how many of those maybe are in a position where they're like, I'm not going to say no, cause I'll get in trouble. I'm not going to like bring this up. Um, right. It's, it's pretty impressive because, you know, I worked on big brands and usually by the time it gets to the top, it's just like, distilled down to like ba- basically nothing <laughs> so to have something get this far up with such problematic choices is actually pretty impressive yeah yeah, yeah. and I like what you said how there's so many other ways to sort of demonstrate this narrative you know like it's she could just be running through a sea of people in business clothes you know like that typical like, oh yeah New York. she could she could be doing I don't know or they could make it even more dangerous and she could be like on an old like tanker ship in the middle of a storm. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah, but then it cuts and she's actually just like on a treadmill or something. Yeah, but that's right. a scenario yes. she's imagining, right? That's a yes. little bit safer. <laughs> yeah. 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 I like that. Um, well, this is awesome. Is there anything that you want to plug or is there anything that you want to uh, talk about or, or let people know how to, how to check out Magenta's work? Sure. Um, I mean, our Instagram is kind of where we just show little fun samples of work and where we show our case studies and link back to our website and stuff. So you can follow us on Instagram. Our handle is magenta.creates. Um, and then if you're interested in like more of my farm life, non, you know, literal design on the computer type of stuff, um, my Instagram handle is farm and flourish. Um, so we're doing a kitchen remodel. I'm always like painting furniture, We've got a lot, plenty of goat content. So if you're into less designy, <laughs> yes. you know, like there will be design yes. stuff, but it's like a little bit less traditional stuff. Feel free to follow me there. So many people just like perked right up, like goat content. <laughs> There's yeah, like a whole no, community good. online yeah. of of goat fans. They're just like, oh yeah, oh yeah. What more goat content? Yep. <laughs> um. Well, there's one more it. segment. Uh, so this is a little bit more personal and philosophical, uh, but we ask everybody okay. that comes on the show just a few questions, and the first one is. What have you done recently for the very first time? Ooh. Um, well, <laughs> like I said, we are doing a kitchen remodel. So I've been cooking in my bathroom. What? <laughs> so I Whoa. made jelly in my bathroom for the first time. <laughs> All right. I don't think a lot of people can say. What does that mean? Um, like a hot pot, pot on a counter? What is that? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a decently <laughs> cool, sized bathroom. Cool. We've got an instant pot. So oh, my, yeah. my husband said, be careful when you're saying that because people might think you like make chili in the toilet. Like you're using like, bathroom oh stuff. My God. I was picturing I was like, like tub chili, like a huge yes. farm bag oh, yeah. of chili. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. That would be nice. <laughs> oh my gosh. Chili's also but, one okay, of my that, favorite things right. on earth. So that oh, made yeah. me excited. I'm a big chili guy. 
Okay, me too. And there is a lot of so me cooking in my bathroom content on my Instagram too. If you all want right, to but, what chili and uh, goats? <laughs> I just almost passed out. Yeah. <laughs> But maybe something less obscure, um, probably in the last year or so, uh, my husband got a motorcycle and I rode on that for the first time and immediately loved it, which surprised me a lot. I am not like a thrill seeker or anything like that. So we're now on the motorcycle, like almost every weekend. It's so fun to ride around the St. Croix River Valley and you know, hop around a, a brewery or a park or whatever. So that that's been a really fun new thing. Yeah. that's beautiful. That's awesome. I had a uh, Vespa scooter in college, and that was my thrill for a while. <laughs> so fun. Yeah. Um, and easier than biking. Oh, yeah. yeah. Much easier. Yes. I've been flirting with the idea of an e-bike, but I haven't quite mm. pulled the trigger on any. But I like watching their marketing videos. I feel like there's my, often... My partner Grant just got one, and he swears by it. So. Oh, nice. What Do you mind telling what type of e-bike you got? I have no idea, to be honest. Right. Him and his his wife both got one to ride with their their kids. So oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. They're in St. Paul. I think that's a little more like bike friendly than where I live. Right. Right. <laughs> no winding roads. <laughs> right. And cows crossing. Right. Stuff. You're like, all right. Whoa. Cows are it again. Yep. <laughs> um, our next question is: If you were invited to a show and tell right now, what do you think you would bring? Well, this is easy. I'd bring my goat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> one of my goats. Yeah, which one? Which one is like the star goat? Mm. Oh, yeah. What's I their probably, names? Um, so they're named after nuts. So <laughs> we have um, yeah. Mac after macadamia nut and then oh, he's like hazelnut. Oh. Yeah. So I'd probably bring Mac. Um, he's like really goofy and friendly. Hazel's really nice too, but she has her moments. She's a little sassy sometimes, so... Yeah, I think Mac would be a people pleaser. I love macadamia nuts. Those are (laughs) honestly like the Rolls Royce of nuts. They are, yeah. (laughs) That's the best nut. Um, If you had the opportunity to give a younger version of yourself one piece of advice, what do you think you would impart? Um, I think it's a little cliche, but like, like you mentioned the confidence thing, like just have more confidence in yourself. Um, I think having more confidence has just made design so much more fun. Like I'm able to focus on just like the fun parts of it and not just sit there worrying. Is this good enough? Is this right? Is this wrong? Like just having fun with it. And so it's hard to tell someone to just have more confidence, but I think just like, you know, take more design risks, be confident, be bold, ask the questions in meetings, like who cares? (laughs) Most people are pretty open-minded and most people are really excited to learn from other people's perspectives. So I think just having more confidence, you know, not only encouraged me to kind of hop around to those different jobs and experiences, which just gave me more confidence, gave me more experience, um, but also just made design more fun and less anxiety ridden. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Beautiful. And stop trying to to make everything, um, you know, profitable. Like design is and being creative is kind of a slippery slope. It's easy to try and turn everything you do into a hobby or a job or like whatever. And sometimes it's fun to just create to create. And I think that's really important to remember that, that not everything you do that's creative needs to be like 
sold or like turned into an Instagram account or right. whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've, I've had that joke with other creatives where it's like, uh, do you have any hobbies? What's a hobby? <laughs> I don't know what a right. hobby is. Right. <laughs> it's too much overlap. Yeah. Everything <laughs> I do is my job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Um, well, it's been an absolute joy talking to you. Thank you so much for yes. being on the podcast. You live such a wonderful, inspired, intentional life. I want to see this farm content. Yes, I'm already going to look it up after this. So. Yeah, give me a follow. I'll uh, make sure I show you what I'm cooking in my uh, kitchen for lunch today. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Awesome. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. Thank you so much. It's been awesome. You're listening to a Brand Folder podcast, where we like to say, strong brands live here. Join us as we build The Brand Collective, a podcast for anyone curious about the people behind the brands that we all love. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. And if you feel inspired, leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Until next time, this has been The Brand Collective.